All right, uh, 2 Corinthians 11. We've been doing this study on uh, the saints and spiritual warfare. And we've been concentrating on the saint, some of the things that we can expect as soldiers in this warfare. And this, uh, obviously, there's always overlap between this and our enemy and his devices and strategies. But uh, this will kind of wrap up a look at the soldier. And then uh, next time we get together, we'll start taking a look at some of the strategies of the enemy, try to get to know our enemy a little bit better. Uh, so that we understand where he's coming from. Uh, but tonight we want to talk a, about, as Gino said, we're going to talk about being a little bit battle-scarred uh, because I think sometimes as Christians we live in a, almost in a Pollyanna kind of world uh, where uh, we're afraid to talk about uh, how difficult the Christian life can be when we're in the middle of battles and struggles. And um, uh, I just think we need to be realistic about that sometimes. Uh, my favorite scene from the movie Jaws. Do you, have a, do, you have, do you have the liberty to see Jaws? How many of you have seen Jaws? A few of you, the rest of you are Christians, right? <laughs> There's a joke in our family because, uh, you know, we were diligent Christian parents growing up and we, we didn't let our kids see hardly any movies. And the movies we did sh uh, show them were edited down to like 10 minutes long, you know, which was hard in the day of VHS tapes, you know, it was really difficult. But anyway, and so I forget how old the kids were. They were older, not, you know, super. But we said, oh, well, yeah, we think you can watch Jaws. And we hadn't watched it. It's not like today where you can watch movies over and over again. I mean, you know, you, 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 didn't, you really didn't own movies, you know. You, and so we, I remembered maybe one or two people being killed in the movie Jaws. And, of course, one or two people are killed every 10 minutes in the movie Jaws. So... Uh, I don't think our children were ever the same after that. We kept thinking, well, that must be the last person that's killed. So uh, anyway, however, I don't think there's any cuss words on the positive side. So anyway, but my favorite scene from the movie Jaws is when Chief Brody and Hooper and Quint are in the galley of the orca and they get to comparing their battle scars. It starts with Brody touching a recently acquired abrasion on his forehead and then Quint pulls his hair aside to show a scar uh, that he says he got from being hit with a spittoon on St. Patty's Day in, in a bar. Uh, Hooper then shows a scar on his forearm where a classmate bit him during recess. And then Quint responds by showing a scar on his forearm attributed to some kind of a wire burn. Next, Hooper rolls up his sleeve to show the bite of a moray eel, says it bit him right through the wetsuit, as I recall. Quint counters with a knife wound he received in a fight. Hooper shows a bull shark bite on his leg, Quint the scar from a thresher shark. About that time, Chief Brody sheepishly checks the scar from his appendectomy uh, for a little bit of comic relief before the uh, shark attack. Uh, but, and then it's all on from that point. <clears throat> By the way, Mythbusters, you watch Mythbusters? They you can't blow up a scuba tank by shooting it with a 22 rifle. That's just all Hollywood. So I used to scuba dive, and I mean, you just, it's just not that kind of a thing. So uh, shoot it all you want. It's not going to explode. Um, wounded and scarred isn't how we normally think of Christians, but we should. After his resurrection, Jesus invited Thomas to examine the scars on his risen, glorified body. Charles Spurgeon said, For he did not say to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless but believing. I wish to draw your attention to the ample fact that our Lord Jesus Christ, when he rose again from the dead, had in his body the marks of his passion. 
If he had pleased, he could have readily have removed them. He rose again from the dead, and he might have erased from his body everything which could be an indication of what he had suffered and endured before he descended into the tomb. But no, instead, thereof, there were the pierced hands and feet, and there was the open side. When he steps forward in heaven to take the scroll and open the seals of the great tribulation, Jesus does so, we're told, as the lamb who was slain. Dave Hunt once commented on this, saying, it's quite clear that he did have holes in his, a hole in his side. He said to Thomas, put your hand into my side. He did have holes in his hands where the nails went. Now, whether there were still scourge marks on his back, that I don't know, but perhaps I wouldn't see why not. Uh, so Dave Hunt, he raises the possibility that Jesus might have all the marks of his crucifixion uh, in, uh, from the uh, crown of thorns, from the scourging, etc. He says, we just don't know because the Bible doesn't say for sure. He says, Dave goes on, he says, now in Revelation 5, he appears as a lamb newly slain. Now, I don't understand that because I'm sure Jesus doesn't look like a lamb, but it would indicate that he bears the marks of crucifixion throughout eternity as a reminder. I mean, why would they be healed? You see, this was the payment for our sins, his death upon the cross. Amy Carmichael applies this to us in her classic poem, No Scar. Hast thou no scar, no hidden scar on foot or side or hand? I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascended star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archers, spent leaned me against a tree to die and rent. By ravening beasts that compassed me, I swooned. Hast thou no wound? No wound, no scar. Yet as the master shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me, but thine are whole. Can he have followed far who has no wound or scar? I like that in a way, and in a way, of course, I don't like it. The apostle Paul was informed at his conversion how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. In a passage filled with passion and pathos, Paul described a few of those sufferings. He says in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three, 23, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in coldness and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches." Now, the context within which this boasting is set is important. Opponents of Paul's were challenging his authority. They were promoting themselves as great men of God and as greater men of God than Paul because of their credentials. Paul countered their claims by pointing out that they had not suffered for the cause of Christ. They had no wound, no scar. They were chief brodies at best in that kind of a dialogue. In labors more abundant, he says, this is a general comment indicating he simply worked harder and more strenuously than those who were challenging him. In stripes above measure, that refers to frequent physical beatings. In prisons more frequently, 
By the time of this writing, the only recorded imprisonment was the one at Philippi. It was a significant one, but he says they were multiple and frequent, and so apparently there were other imprisonments that are not recorded in Scripture, and we know that there would be other significant imprisonments to come. He says in deaths often, and this would refer to the very real risk of death Paul faced often from angry mobs. Uh, Paul literally risked his life every day for the cause of Jesus Christ. Uh, verse 24, he says, from the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. The Mosaic law prescribed a maximum of 40 lashes. This was traditionally limited to 39 so as to uh, not exceed the legal limit. You could lose count uh, with all the I mean, it was pretty brutal. Uh, some of you have seen The Passion of the Christ. I never did see it. I, I just decided I wasn't going to, and I'm sticking to it. But uh, anyway, I'm, I understand it was presented pretty brutally in there. But uh, to, show, to be careful they didn't go beyond the law, they, they only gave you 39 lashes just in case you lost count because they didn't want to do anything that, that was outside of the law. But uh, uh, many individuals died just from this lashing. And uh, Paul says he had several of these in his career. And again, this letter to the Corinthians is, is early in his career, as it were. And so uh, who knows what happened along those lines afterwards. In verse 25, he says, three times I was beaten with rods. Uh, this was the Gentile version of being whipped. It's commonly called caning. Uh, and so he would be caned. Even though he was a Roman citizen, and therefore exempt from caning, three times this punishment was inflicted before he claimed his citizenship. And we're just left to speculate as to uh, why that is. I'll tell you right now that if somebody was going to cane me and I could say, I'm a Roman citizen, uh, I, would, I would get right into that. Uh, I would be showing my credentials. Uh, but Paul, as he did in uh, Philippi, uh, he's, you know, after his punishment, he said, hey, is it legal for what, what you guys did to me? Is that legal? Because I'm a Roman citizen. And he used it as a bargaining chip to get, give the fledgling churches that he was starting kind of a leg up with the government officials. And so um, three times he was beaten with rods, when in reality, he never should have ever been beaten with rods uh, because of his Roman citizenship. And so, uh, <clears throat> you know, we're, we're I don't want to put us down. I mean, I think it's great that we live in the United States. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to live anywhere else. But I think sometimes we need to use our rights the right way. Instead of demanding them, I think sometimes we can utilize them uh, the way Paul did. He says, once I was stoned. This is recorded in Acts 14, and it appears from the text that he was stoned to death and drug out of the city and left for dead and then raised from the dead and said, Hey, let's go back in there and finish what we started. Uh, I, I tell you, Paul was not a guy that you wanted to be around unless you were really into adventure. Uh, you know, he, he was a serious dude uh, when it came to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, and on the one hand, you think he's going to go back into town and people are going to say, isn't that the guy that was just dead, that we just stoned? And you and I think, well, that, that's going to really win people to Christ. But when Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead, the religious leaders said, hey, we've got to kill both of these guys now. 
<laughs> we can't have people being raised from the dead. What's, that's, what's that going to do to our reputation? So let's figure out how we can kill both of these guys. Uh, we think sometimes the way we think just isn't the way things work out. We're always prone to think that the miracle is going to bring people to Christ. Um, in reality, the, the kind of uh, characteristic of the age in which we live is that patient endurance of suffering reveals Christ to people more so than miracles does. Uh, but anyway, I'm getting off a little bit. So he was stoned once, at least, up until this point. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I have been in the deep. And these were all really before the heavy-duty shipwreck in Acts 27, one of the great... That'd be a great movie all by itself. You want to make a movie, Hollywood? Just do Paul's shipwreck. It, it's fantastic. But uh, these were shipwrecks that happened before that. I, I'm, not a, a, I'm not particularly an ocean person. I don't like the ocean. There's too much of it, for one thing. It's just, just too big and vast. Now, don't get me wrong. I lived in Southern California. I used to scuba dive and go out into the waves and see creatures and, you know, uh, fight off barracudas. And I love scuba diving, went to Catalina Island. You know, I rode the boat over there, vomited halfway over like everybody did. And, and you're on like some 80-foot boat that's 300 years old that is just about ready to get sent to the Bering Sea to be a crab boat. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's your diesel fuel and something. You can't help but get sick. Uh, but uh, So I've done all of that, but the ocean absolutely terrifies me. I mean, it's, it's cruel beyond measure. Ever been caught in a riptide? Ever been under, you know, caught in a wave and you didn't think you could get up because you don't, you're stupid and you don't know how to count waves, you don't know what's really happening? It's so easy to die in the ocean. I can't imagine anything worse than being shipwrecked. When we were in the Philippines, I wish Pat Mundy was here because he and I could commiserate. We almost died in the Pacific Ocean on those little bonka boats coming back from Apu Island. Whose idea was it to go out there? Not mine. Uh, but uh, one of the boats almost capsized. We were being sent down to Borneo by the tide. I mean, it was crazy. And so the ocean is not my friend. And so Paul says, yeah, three times I was shipwrecked on my missionary journeys, and uh, more were to come. Verse 26, in journeys, often in perils of, and then he lists all these different perils. Paul's frequent journeys were not pleasant excursions, but dangerous travel. Swollen rivers called, uh, caused real peril. Robbers were a threat to any traveler. Danger hounded Paul's steps, both from persecuting Jews and from Gentiles. Whether he was in city or the desert or at sea, he faced continual danger in pursuing his service for Jesus Christ. One of the threats he faced was posed by false brethren, he says. Perhaps he had in mind the Judaizing opponents who were bitter against him and did not hesitate to stir up Christians against him and would even report him to the authorities if it would remove him from the scene. And so <clears throat> for a long time in his ministry, when Paul came to town, these guys followed him. Uh, you know, I guess it would, you know, if, if, if we were like that today, they'd be outside the windows, you know, going like this, screaming and yelling and saying that Paul was a heretic, and, or some of them would wait until he would leave, and then they'd come in and rip the people off and tell them, well, you know, Paul hasn't really given you the real gospel. He didn't want to tell you, you know, what you really need to do because he didn't want to lose you. You know, he was the advanced man. Now we're coming in to tell you how to really seal the deal. It was like a car salesman thing, you know, where they've they got to go and talk to their manager. 
You haven't really started until they're going to the manager. You realize that, right? The guy who, you know, I mean, I'd, I'd really like to give you this deal, but my manager, I mean, he's, he's a tyrant and stuff. Oh, there is no manager, uh, usually, or he's absent. He's just, it's a robot, probably. But anyway, <laughs> so these guys would come in and say, now, we're, we're, we're going to give you the real scoop. You have to be circumcised and you have to keep the law of Moses, and you have to, essentially, you have to become a Jew in order to really be a Christian. And so uh, this is what Paul faced everywhere he went. Weariness and toil was an expression Paul used of his manual labor to support himself. Uh, things were a lot different in the first century when there weren't any churches. You realize that when Paul went into a city, there weren't 15 different churches that he could choose from that had split from an original church. Uh, it, there, were, there weren't any Christians even. And so he would go into a city and he would get a job to support himself. And then he would preach the gospel uh, when he wasn't working and people would get saved and he would establish a ministry. And so he was weary from that toil. Sleeplessness refers to the sleepless nights he endured working late to support himself so he would not burden the church. It wasn't that he needed Ambien, you know, he didn't have sleep dis disorders or apnea. He, he worked hard. Uh, into the night. Hunger and thirst were sometimes his experience when his own labors did not fully supply his needs. When it says in fastings often, uh, it doesn't seem to refer here to a voluntary fast, but to those times when food ran out altogether or when other circumstances made eating impossible. He also knew what it was to have insufficient clothing, especially when traveling on long journeys when nights were cold and accommodations were primitive. At one point he says, hey, bring my coat. Uh, please, uh, you know, because he's, he's in prison and he doesn't have his coat with him. Verse 28, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? Paul cared deeply for the churches and for each struggling, suffering believer in every church. He had a deep concern for all the churches. We did a study not too long ago about um, part of it. We talked about the anxieties of Paul. The, Paul who said, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God, had an awful lot of anxieties. Uh, and one of them was over, was a good one actually, over the state of, of Christians. Uh, he was always concerned about what would happen to these young Christians. Imagine going to a place where there were no Christians, preaching the gospel, seeing God do a great work harvesting souls, and then you get kicked out of the city within three weeks or a short period of time, you know that these lying uh, dogs are coming in behind you trying to rip people off. Uh, you know, you, you care for people. And he would wonder what was going on. And, and you know, there, were no, there was no texting. There was no communication, really. They'd have to wait until somebody came on foot and made some kind of a connection. And so he had real concern for uh, the church. And uh, all of you know, I mean, emotional pain and emotional stress uh, is far more difficult than, than physical pain. Uh, I, I mean, you've all had aches and pains, or you will, uh, and, and you've all suffered in different ways. But those of you who've gone through emotional distress, man, I mean, break my leg any day compared to some of the things that you have to endure on an emotional level. And so that's what Paul is talking about. Paul's saying, hey, if you want if you want to show credentials in the Christian life, if you want to throw down in that way and say who's qualified to minister to somebody, then it's going to have to involve a lot of suffering. 
because uh, if you don't have any wounds or any scars, you're not like the Lord. And if you're not like the Lord, then how can people uh, know what he's like? And so physically, Paul was a wreck. I mean, think about what this guy must have been. I, mean, I don't know how old he was at this time when he was writing, but he's got to be in his 40s, 50s. He's maybe, <laughs> you know, my age. And, uh, uh, well, I'm 59. But anyway, uh, he's, he's in that I still consider myself in, in my 40s and 50s. <laughs> so how's that? That's a couple of decades. Until you hit 60, you're still. Anyway, so uh, he was a wreck, I mean, physically. Besides that, we know he had some kind of eye problem because to the, uh, he says that the Galatians were willing to give, them their eye, give him their eyes if necessary. And so we think he had ophthalmalia, which was some kind of an eye disease where his eyes would, would ooze all the time. And so, man, this guy, this guy was not charismatic. Uh, he, 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 wasn't, he wouldn't be the pastor of a megachurch today. Uh, I'll tell you, Paul wasn't a guy that walked around on the stage. Now, now, I don't care if you do. That's cool. I don't feel comfortable doing that. If, you know, I, I know some guys do, and they look comfortable doing it, and I appreciate them. All I care about is that people are themselves. If you're yourself, you know, if you want to stand erect and upright behind a podium or to the side or move around, that's fine. But Paul, I can tell you, was a guy that was pretty sedentary. Uh, because he was all crippled up and scarred and wounded. But these were his wounds, his scars, battle scars he was proud to be able to display. Now, as we've been talking about, we're in a spiritual war. They're not war games. It's not a simulation. Our enemy is using real bullets. Live ammo is whistling by your head every day, and you're going to take some hits. When Christian artists and illustrators want to portray spiritual warfare... They generally draw that Roman soldier in full armor. You know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, there's different renditions of it, but uh, you can go to any, sometimes even in some Bibles that are illustrated, you know, you go to Ephesians chapter 6 there, and you've got a picture of the Roman soldier in his full regalia. At least show the soldier as if he had been in a fierce battle. We usually think of him as if he's presenting himself for inspection when the truth is there's a war going on. There need to be dents in the helmet and breastplate, stains and scratches on the shield. The sword should be notched, and there should be bruising and blood, lots of blood. That's how you want to portray the Christian soldier, not as a guy that's marching you know, down the boulevard with his, uh, with his best equipment on, uh, because you're in a battle. You don't have that stuff. That stuff isn't you. That's not your dress uniform whenever you feel like you want to go to war. I mean, you're in a battle, and it needs to be crushed. Think of any of the, think of your favorite battle movie, whatever that would be. Think of any of the battle scenes in Lord of the Rings. How's that? You, you want to look like Aragorn after the battle. I mean, that guy is gnarly looking. I, I mean, he's got blood all over him. He's, he's, it just, it's crazy. But that's, that's the kind of thing that we're involved with here, and I think we need to represent it properly. Better yet, I would try to portray the Christian soldier with a drawing of Paul that somehow represents all of the battle scars that he lists. It would probably be impossible to do. But when you and I think of the Christian soldier, we should quit thinking about the Roman soldier dressed in his armor, and we should start thinking about Paul the Apostle, a weary old man, hunched over, wiping his eyes, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ with incredible power 
because of the fullness of the Holy Spirit in his life. Willing to die, getting up every day, not just dying to self, but knowing that he was probably going to die that day. Some days he did die and had to be raised to life. I mean, this guy had a fantastic life. This is the Christian life. This is the soldier that we are called to be. Now, I'm, I'm happy to be in the United States and to not have to go through that level. And that's not, that's not my business, right? God, it says in Acts, in fact, Paul's the one who says that, God's the one who scatters us wherever he wants us. And so the fact that we're in Hanford, in Kings County, suffering the way we suffer, that's, as long as we're supposed to be here, that's, be, that's God's doing. Uh, we don't all have to pack up and go over and, and say, hey, could you please beat me because I want to have some scars. Uh, you know, don't worry. Your life will be scarred enough by the time you get to heaven if you, if you get in the fight. I mean, if you're willing to get in the fight. So it's not a comparative thing. We're not to look at Paul and say, wow, you know, I could never be like Paul. You are like Paul. Uh, maybe not to the degree, but there, you know, there's always hot zones, right? Those of you who've been in the military, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's guys on the front line and then there's the support people. And so, you know, we're all part of that spiritual struggle, but we have to have a better idea of what it means to be the soldier because this is at least our potential. It is what Paul went through is at least potential for all of us as we serve the Lord. Can he have followed far who has no wound or scar? The answer, of course, is no. Amen?